Welcome once again to the Commonweal Policy Podcast uh, with me, Jonathan Shaffey. I'm the campaigns officer here at Commonweal and um, delighted uh, as ever to be joined by Craig Dayell, who is the head of policy, of course, well-known, um, goes across the country, <laughs> uh, well-known on Twitter and so on. And for good reason, because over the last um, number of months, I'm not sure how many, probably well longer than that, probably about a year, we have been uh, discussing and debating the Growth Commission. Of course, this all came uh, to somewhat of a head at the SNP conference um, just at the weekend. Um, welcome, Craig, uh, to the show. Uh, how have you been? I've been good. Um, yeah, we have been talking about this for almost a year now. The Growth Commission came out in May last year. Um, but yeah, the SNP conference was uh, an interesting weekend. Unfortunately, I couldn't actually be there because my wee brother was getting married. Ah, well, uh, uh, a choice between SNP conference and uh, your brother's uh, wedding. Uh, but no, I, I was there uh, and had a, a really good experience. I actually spoke to, must be dozens of people, um, very interested in Commonweal. But, but look, let's, let's get into the, the, the meat of the discussion. Um, the key debate at the conference was around the Growth Commission. Yeah. Uh, and in particular, um, debates... Uh, with amendments going forward uh, on the question of currency uh, and specifically on the six tests um, that were um, advised by the Growth Commission. Um, For those, I think just really briefly, for those who maybe are just catching up with this debate, do you want to just give a very, very quick just refresh on the six tests, not the each individual one, but but I guess what they represent and the difficulties and obstacles? Uh, Well, really it comes down to two of them are particular barriers. One of them um, was a test on deficit reduction, so Scotland would have to reduce its, its deficit down below a certain level before a currency can be launched. And the Growth Commission projected that this could take about 10 years. This was the only test that had a timeline attached to it. Uh, the other big test for me um, was test six on diverging Scotland's economy, uh, economic cycles from those of the UK, so that um, if your economic cycles are converged, it means that when the UK was going through a boom, Scotland would also be going through a boom. When the UK had a recession, Scotland would have a recession at the same time. Now, if you don't have your own currency, you have very limited tools available to you so that if the UK had a recession, there'd be very limited tools to stop Scotland from also being pulled down with that recession. So our economic cycles wouldn't diverge and we wouldn't ever be able to pass that test. So that was the, the two main ones. To talk on the the, the motion and the, the amendments that went to the, the, the growth, growth Commission, there were really three amendments there mm. on um, launching a currency, on changing the way the currency was handled in the, the original motion. Uh, amendment, amendment A dealt with uh, issues around the, the annual solidarity payment, which we've discussed in previous podcasts. Um, it failed. Um, Amendment B, George Caravan motion, uh, was on launching, essentially on launching the currency by the end of the first parliament and on dropping the six tests as a measure. Explicitly dropping them, yeah. Yeah, this this amendment failed. Yeah. Amendment C was on (coughs) launching a currency immediately, pegging it to sterling, and then having tests and discussions around whether whether and when to de-peg this motion also failed. And then the final motion, uh, final amendment, Amendment D, uh, Tim Rideout's amendment, 
said that a currency should be launched as soon as practicable. Now, critical in all this, this was the one amendment that didn't explicitly mention dropping the six tests, although it did talk about dropping the uh, requirement for the central bank to produce a report annually on whether or not the tests had been met. So there's no explicit mechanism for testing the tests, as it were. Yeah. But the tests themselves still remain. This um, this amendment passed. Yeah. And then the motion as a whole passed. The effect of this, the big change of this amendment, is that now we're in a situation where the Scottish government is mandated to launch the currency as soon as is practicable. But there's possibly a bit of wiggle room over how this is interpreted. And we've seen it with statements from Nicola Sturgeon, from Derek Mackay, and from Andrew Wilson in The National Today, where they've clearly came down on the interpretation that essentially as soon as practical means when the six tests are met. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that they're putting it forward is this, almost as if nothing at all has changed. But I mean, I think, you know, I was watching the debate um, at the conference. Tim Rydow, um his... Um, speech uh, in relation to his amendment was a devastating demolition job of the of the tests. Oh, he did a far better job than I've ever managed uh, to do in five minutes on demolishing them. Common Space has that video up on their, on their social media yeah, on their website. Yeah. Go and look at it. I'll link to it in the description below the podcast. And people should watch that. But, I mean, just, just um, before we just get into the kind of policy detail, um, what was really interesting to me watching that debate was that there were speaker after speaker who were opposing the six tests, and when they were opposing them, were doing so in razor-like analytical fashion. Those who were defending the policy as it existed without amendment either didn't talk about the six tests or didn't really offer any real intellectual defence of them. That goes for Derek Mackay and for Keith Brown as well. And then very last, and I thought this was interesting, I think it bleeds into something we'll talk about, uh, in a wee while, is that those defending the Growth Commission resolution did so on the basis of talking way to the left, and despite the fact that they were uh, that their rhetoric around whether it be poverty or inequality or austerity or whatever it might, or, or whatever it might be, being incompatible with full fragments of the or full sections of the Growth Commission, they felt the needs to push in that direction. Yeah, and I think that what this represents, and I wonder what you think about this. I think what this represents and what that conference represented was a real pushback against the idea that independence is going to be business as normal, continue the same failed economic orthodoxy and so on. I think that's really what this vote represented. Now, there's a battle for what it means in policy terms and so on, but actually the, the political fact of the matter is that the SNP leadership were pushed from, in broad terms, the, the left of the, of the party, which is substantial, and we shouldn't forget that. Well, one of the arguments that was kind of laid out sort of in a fairly sketchy fashion, as well as any of the arguments the proponents ever made for the Growth Commission, was that this was the thing that we need to do to win over the undecided voters and the activists who are already on our side really just need to suck it up. Um, I mean, what was your impression from the floor of the conference? Were, were, you, were you hearing uh, from the members there that basically the reply to that was, no, we're not going to. Well, I um, arrived at the conference early um, because we were distributing Commonweal literature, which which explained our, our, our approach to the Growth Commission and to currency. 
And I was, from the very start, from half past eight in the morning when refitting the, um, the crowd going in, I was already at that stage convinced that there was something going to happen that day that would be seen as somewhat of an upset um, because member after member were really um, not happy with the Grove Commission, uh, not happy with the position uh, on currency. And what's quite interesting to me is I think lots and lots of people would have voted um, in favour to just keep the resolution as it was without any amendments. But the, the idea that there's enthusiasm, even from lots of those people, behind the Growth Commission, I think is now really in tatters. It, it just doesn't exist. Um, and the reason it doesn't exist is because it predicates the whole idea of independence on the basis that the UK economy, as it currently stands, should be mirrored, is more yeah. secure, is uh, all of these kinds of things. And I think members um, understand that. How, how do you think the members are going to feel if the leadership comes down on that, that principle that as soon as practicable means when the tests are met? Do you think there's going to be pushback there? Is that the impression you got? I think there will. Uh, I mean, look, my, my honest view is that I actually think the entirety of the Growth Commission, and I know there'll be lots of disagreement with this, but I think the entirety of the Growth Commission is on the rocks. And I say that for this reason. Maybe we should get into this now. If you look at Nicola Sturgeon's speech, her conference speech, uh, which had a lot of good stuff in it, but she doesn't mention the Growth Commission, uh, but she does mention something called the Social Ju Social Justice and Fairness Commission. Mm. Now, that seems to me to be someone who is a party leadership who is reacting to pressure to understand that actually the Growth Commission isn't going to deliver anywhere near the kind of vision that we need to transform the economy in our society. What's your take on, on that? Well, I was struck by the, the tweet that the First Minister put out um, <laughs> where she said that this was to build on the foundation of the work mm. done by, by Wilson and the, and the Commission. It's going to be interesting to see just how much of it actually does. I mean, if you were wanting to build social justice, would you start from the Growth Commission? Is this a patch that we can try and fix the objectionable bits of the Growth Commission, the bits that we're focusing on, well, growth rather than social justice? Um, or is this a way of kind of covering over the Growth Commission and, and replacing it with something better? I mean, I think that what's happening here is that what's happening is that there's politics taking place. Mm. So there's a clear pushback um, across the independence movement, but inside the SNP as well, against the Growth Commission and the doctrine that it um, outlines. And so the SNP leadership think to themselves, well, we can't scrap the Growth Commission because we've committed ourselves to that in various ways over the last year. Um, so what we'll do is we'll try and even this out somehow. And that's where they come up with the idea of the, uh, the Social Justice and Fairness Commission. But these things are contradictory, as you've just pointed out. I mean, if we really want to build a socially just economy, uh, one that's investment-led, one which can bring about the kind of social outcomes that Commonweal and others have been advocating, then these lying contradictions. How do you see that playing out? Well, as I say, this is going to be the, the big vision push. Mm. This is this is going to come down to what kind of Scotland do you want to build? Do you want to build one that is, you know, built for growing the <clears throat> bankers' pockets and maybe we'll try and find some way of including people in the growth? Or do we try and build it an actual sustainable and socially just economy? And yeah, there's there's still going to be a debate around this. It's, it's not, um, it, it's for 
groups like Commonweal and for the other political parties to say what they prefer. But there's now going to have to be a, a big democratic debate. And maybe this is where things, uh, announcements like, like, like the citizens' assemblies can come in useful. Yeah. Where, you know, we can have a, a broad <clears throat> spectrum of debate about what kind of Scotland we want to build. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that kind of um, dovetails with another of the um, of the points made in the Nicola Thurman speech, but something which has been talked about previously at the STUC conference, um, where it was mentioned again, which is this uh, notion of a green uh, new deal, a Scottish green deal. Yeah. Um, now, uh, anyone who knows anything about a green deal will understand its incompatibility with something like the Growth Commission. Now, um, thinking about a green deal, clearly this is a good move. Like yep. It's great that this has now been talked about. But how do you think this works in practice alongside the Growth Commission? What do you think we should do to respond as the movement who want to see a Green New Deal? Well, first, it's, it's <coughs> um, worth saying that why it's incompatible. Um, sure. First of all, you can't have infinite economic growth on a finite planet, and you can't have much more growth on a planet where we're already, as a, pl- as a globe, overusing the Earth's resources. We're going to have to think, even, even when the Growth Commission changed its name to the Sustainable Growth Commission, mm. that word sustainability which is more vital than the growth side, but is being kind of left out. Now, we have to watch out for that. But there's also the things in the Growth Commission report that directly work against the idea of a Green New Deal, and that is, again, currency is key to this. If you limit the amount of public spending you're you're making, if you're fixing rules like limiting public spending growth to below GDP growth, but you're trying to transform your economy into a, a, a truly sustainable green economy and you don't have the currency tools to be able to create that investment then you're going to have problems here so what seems to me to be happening is that there are actually um, a lot of contradictions emerging mm. in central planks of the policy of the SNP leadership contradictions over the question of currency and where the currency position is now at given that there's been this whole debate that's followed the conference about what the amendment means in practice. Contradictions on the sustainable, uh, on the, sorry, the um, Social Justice and Fairness Commission and the Growth Commission, as you've outlined, and serious contradictions in the question of a Green New Deal and uh, the implementation of the Growth Commission. So all of this, I think, is going to come to a head. I don't think it's really going to be a sustainable position keep peddling all of these things at once. Would you agree with that analysis? I don't want to underplay the fact that the, the First Minister was the first national leader to announce the Green New Deal as a policy, followed a day later by the House of Commons when Jeremy Corbyn yeah. pushed through a motion. I mean, these are really significant things. But we need to fully understand the scale of the task that is ahead of us. And we need to start really seriously reassessing all government policies over all areas in light of the Green New Deal. Now, just as we came in here to record, uh, First Minister's questions were still ongoing, and Richard Leonard asked um, uh, Nicola Sturgeon a really good question on whether she would continue to push for a cut in air passenger duty. This is something that 
the Commonwealth uh, spoken out against in a couple of policy papers. And her answer simply was that you know policies would have to be reassessed. It wasn't quite a yes, it wasn't quite a no, maybe too early to, yeah. to say. But the <clears> fact that we're starting to open up a chink in that, start to discuss our policies that were announced or implemented pre-Green New Deal, <laughs> are they still appropriate? Are they possible? Personally, I'd quite like to have have a, a new little metric added to the whole um, gamut of statistics where we have a, a CO2 emissions uh, mm. score attached to all of our policies. Think of it as a policy calorie count. And mm. we can we can talk about if you've got a policy that is carbon positive, then you have to either justify it or price in the mitigation and, and uh, reduction of the, of the carbon emissions. Um, but on, on another issue around the Green New Deal on this topic of reassessment. It is still early days in this, but the day after, you know, the, or a couple of days after the Green New Deal was announced, you had government ministers on the, um, on the TV, on the TV yeah. talking about continuing to issue oil licenses when the science is very clear. We cannot safely drill oil that is currently not being tapped. New oil fields cannot be tapped if we want to meet our our Green New Deal targets. It's actually even debatable whether we can drain the ones that are currently being tapped. Yeah. So issuing new oil licenses <coughs> is a policy that is directly against the Green New Deal idea. We've also had um, the former climate minister, Stuart Stevenson, mm. talking about, well, okay, yes, we need to burn less oil, but we, we still need to keep extracting. Yeah. Well, no, because we have a huge problem with plastics and, and other pollutants that result from oh, uh, yeah. from oil extraction as well. And look, the truth is, we burn eighty percent of the oil we we produce. Five percent of it is plastics, and there's uh, as I say, there's pollut pollutants from from the rest. But even if you just restrict yourself to the fifteen percent that um, that isn't oil and plastics then what does your industry look like when you take away 85% of its customers? The oil industry cannot continue the way it's going in a Green New Deal future. Just in the same way that you know the horse industry could not keep going in the same yeah, way that yeah, it yeah. did when the car was invented. This is a paradigm-shifting moment, yeah. and we really need to wake up to this. So, um, I, well, that's I mean, it's really interesting overview there. I think I want to pick up on what you were saying about the importance of Nicola Sturgeon making uh, this uh, announcement, even if it is contradictory to lots of other policies that the SNP have, because that's an opportunity yeah. for the whole of the movement to say, right, this is now being taken seriously. Um, we welcome the, um, the the statements that have been made by Nicola Sturgeon in relation to the Green New Deal and, and, and issues around that. Uh, and now it's about, okay, how are we going to actually take this forward? How are we going to retool the economy um, so that it works for the people and for planet? Um, these are the big questions. Yeah. I think this is a hugely exciting time, actually, for Commonweal. Uh, and now, obviously, this is a Commonweal podcast, and actually there are lots of organisations, yeah. lots of um, social movements and, and campaigns who will all be gearing up for this. But you know, since we are from Commonweal, you feel as well that this is an exciting time for the organisation. Oh, we, we have actually retooled our policy schedule for the next year based on, on the, this talk. We've got a paper coming out imminently on how Scotland can 
revamp its heating networks and, and deploying on a large-scale district heating in the state and, and along the lines of countries like Denmark, which is far more efficient than the individual boilers that we're used to, um, and, and how we can decarbonize our heating network. Because uh, you know more than half of the energy that's used in Scotland is used for heating, and only a small fraction of it is is powered by renewables. It is the sector that that is that needs to decarbonize the most. Um, so this is a, this is this paper that's coming out is going to be a, a, a good step forward in that. But we are also going to come out with far more <coughs> on this across the full gamut of green new deal policies, as well as hopefully uh, essentially a fully costed and timetabled. Um, proposal for Scotland. So how the the first minister has announced has endorsed a, a paper that came out yesterday. The no, today was it? Ah, today this morning as we're recording this on Thursday. Um, that said that Scotland could become carbon neutral by twenty forty five. And now the paper does have a lot of good um, overviews and technical um, uh, discussions in there. Yeah. So we're going basically run with that and show you, right, okay, so we want to be zero, zero carbon by 2045. So what does that look like for the Scottish economy in 2020, in 2021, in 2022? How do we get there? What do we need to do each step along the way? Because this is the weakness with the Green New Deal stuff. Politicians have been talking strong on climate for years, for decades, yeah. and they have done very little. Yeah. So we really need to be holding our politicians to account now. We've got no time left. We've got a decade left to get this ongoing, or you know, we cannot stop the downward spiral. And you know, um, I think it's uh, I think it's really a testament to, to to your work and others, the whole organisation, that as soon as the Green New Deal is announced, we have papers coming out. You know, as soon as the Growth Commission comes out, we have serious policy alternatives on currency and the whole range of issues that is brought up. That's exactly where we need to be. And I say that for our listeners because um, often uh, people are asking for these kinds of ideas and don't know where to find them. And what we are trying to say is that we are developing them all the time. We are constantly re-evaluating and, and popularising these ideas. So, so you can help us by, by, getting our stuff, um, by getting our stuff out there. It strikes me about the Green New Deal and about the issues that you've just raised there that politicians, on the one hand, feel the need to say something around this, yeah. are beginning to understand that actually it's quite popular, it's in the popular consciousness now, um, about the climate um, uh, catastrophe and so on, um, but they don't want to confront the vested interests that maintain the present order of things. So when it comes down to actually confronting the big oil corporations or the way the economy functions or any of these kind of big um, institutionalised uh, forms of um, maintaining the present system as it currently operates, um, how do we? How do we? How do you think about that question? Because I think this is another element of Commonwealth that on the one hand we've got the policy, but that we also need a movement. We yeah. need a movement and a campaign and. A and lots of people involved to push this forward. We've had years of, as I say, people talking strong on climate and then not much happening. I think one of the big things that's happened this year is the phrase climate emergency. Yeah. Because it was really shocking to a lot of people when last year the the 
the report came out that said we had 12 years until irreversible damage happens. You know, that's only three election cycles. Yeah. There are politicians in our parliament now who will probably still be politicians when that threshold has, has been met. Yeah. It's up to them, it's up to all of us to make sure that they get on with this job. So the phrase climate emergency really helps to put the urgency on that. But it needs to be treated as such. Yeah. So we can't have any more of these politicians coming up and saying that they're going to do something and then other members of their cabinet coming up and saying, well, when we said we're going to do something, we actually meant we're going to do it later. Yeah. There is no later. There is no later, and that's a good way to put it. So we'll be having lots of discussion around around uh, the Green New Deal and, and issues related to it. But, but as we are coming to the end, there was one other um, important policy uh, that Commonweal has been uh, advocating for and developing uh, that came up at the SNP conference. And it's not one that, that grabbed the headlines, but it is one that's important and significant. Um, and looking forward to you explaining to our listeners uh, why. And that's about the, the development of a, a Scottish statistics agency, uh, which I know is something that you've got a great interest in. Well, yeah, it's also quite important to me personally because it's my paper. Yeah. So I, I have a bit of an interest here, a really geeky interest in statistics. Yes, mm. I know. Mm. But it is important. The, 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 the paper's background uh, is that essentially... You know, a few years ago, I was trying to do some research on economic matters around Scotland, and I was having a real, I was having real trouble finding the data that we needed. Mm. It was possible to get a lot of the data at UK level, but Scot- Scottish level was patchy, and getting it below Scottish level, say income distribution, is was was just missing, absent completely. Mm. So I started to find all of these holes in the Scottish data corpus. I started to speak to other people. They were finding the same holes and finding the same frustrations getting that data. So I wrote the paper, Scotland's Data Desert, which advocated for a Scottish statistics agency that would find and eliminate these gaps. And it gave various options of how it could do that. Um, And the paper attracted a fair bit of attention in the the statistics circles. I had very productive uh, discussions with um, folk at say the ONS and other statistics bodies and um, eventually it led to me getting in touch with um, Ronnie Cowan MP who is um, involved with uh, the statistics committees in the House of Commons and he was very interested in this area as well, picked up the paper, developed it into a motion um, essentially you know arguing arguing for the paper as a a whole without without any, any significant modifications to it um, debated it very well, and the, the 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 conference passed it overwhelmingly. There's a real thirst there for yeah. for you know for what is quite an esoteric area, but people recognise that this is important because if you don't have the data, you can't make your policy. Yeah. If you don't have the data to track your policies, you can't tell if they're working or not. And I think that you know we 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 inevitably get into fights, especially over the constitutional debate. My data is better than yours. Does my data show our future is a uh, you know more prosperous than, than yours? You know, cut through all that mm. because where there is weak data, it serves nobody to maintain it. Yeah, like that. We need to have as the the, the strongest database of statistics that we have for this country, so that we can have debates as important as the constitutional issue, but can do it from a factual and data-based uh, basis. 
Well, that's um, and yeah, another. It's congratulations on that. I know that um, I know that you you did pioneer that paper, and it must be it must be a great feeling uh, to see that then um, come into the SNP conference. Oh, and I, I'm, I'm a wee bit chuffed, but it's actually interesting that that's now the third government or pub, government department or public body that Commonwealth has advocated for and has 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 won from the uh, the, the SNP conferences. We had the National Investment Bank. We had the, the National Infrastructure Company, and now we have the Statistics Agency. We've also had pretty influential, um, uh, uh, we've had a bit of influence over policies like the how the Social Security Department was set up. Yeah. We've also helped, we were instrumental in creating the lobbying register, which has greatly improved transparency um, in, in the Scottish Parliament. So, you know, so in the lots, last few years, this is... This this is Commonweal has really started to make an impact on Scotland. So I think that's probably a, a good place to to come to a close. Um, uh, as Craig just said, there Commonweal is now really beginning to make an impact. It has been building up over the last couple of years. But when you look at the uh, interventions around the Growth Commission, around currency, around the stuff going up around the Green New Deal, around the policies that Craig's just talked about. When it comes to big, progressive ideas being advocated for, then Commonweal is really the place to be. And if you support independence, it's definitely the place to be because we are furnishing a whole policy programme which you can look at on our website. And when it comes to our website, we're launching a new one, which is really a fantastic uh, development because it looks great. All the information is stored in a in a readable and accessible way, and that's going to have more and more information on that, not just about our policies, but also about the movement aspect of what we do yeah. as well. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll come to, come, come to the new website, commonweal.scot. We'll have the policy library. We'll have a, a rolling update of all the stuff that's going on in our news section. We will have a section called Do Something. So if you want to get involved, if you want to volunteer with us, you want to join your local uh, Commonweal activist group, or if you have a really great idea that you think you can turn into a policy paper, you can do all these things through that section. You can get in touch with us and we can we can help you out. As always, though, this is Commonweal as an organisation is uh, an organisation where a movement you know that is supported by by you by folk like yourselves. So we also have a donate page there where you can sign up our average donation is 10 pounds a month we don't have you know the 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 big money donors of other campaigns we don't have the the government contracts or anything like that we really are reliant on folk like yourself as i've said commonweal in the last few years has made a substantial impact to the landscape of scotland we want to keep growing we want to keep building on it if you support us come along with us on the journey you know help us get get there well, I think that's a, a fantastic way to conclude the podcast. Thanks once once again, Craig, uh, for for um, for all of the the work that you've put in, and thanks again to all of those who helped us at the SNP conference. It was great to speak to so many uh, of you. Uh, and with that, uh, we will be back next week with our future policy uh, podcast, where we'll be looking at the Green New Deal and a whole range of other issues. <laughs>